0: hey y'all welcome back to needed conversations this is ryan and victoria cole and we're excited to continue our prosperous marriage series that's what we've been in these past few episodes so we're grateful that you're tuning in today but if you haven't been listening to the previous episodes you might want to go back and listen to those when you finish with this one
1: that's right finances is a major point of contention for a lot of couples and it starts with the individual mindset about prosperity And so when you come into a marriage with two different mindsets about money, you're never going to be able to create an economic prosperity for not just yourself, for, for your children, which is the ultimate goal. And so today we're going to be continuing that conversation. But before we do, we want to encourage you to become partners with this ministry, Empowered Culture Ministries. Our mission is to empower individuals to discover their purpose in God's kingdom, to help them to date well and build marriages that reflect the glory of God, and then create an environment in their home, a culture of empowerment where the next generation can be able to do the same. We're about breaking cycles, and a part of that is bringing couples close through retreats and events, many of which you'll hear about in the coming months of next year we're expanding what we're doing, but all of that takes resources. And it, it is partners like you that enable us to sit here week after week, giving you this wisdom to meet with couples on a consistent basis and to help save marriages and to be able to preach the gospel of the kingdom to as many as we can. So when you become a partner of any amount, go to moremostforever.com and become a partner right now. And also, if you're married, you'll you'll be able to jump into a private group that we have starting um, at the end of this month. We're going to be reaching out to all of our partners and talking about our monthly Zoom sessions, weekly devotionals and so much more just Mm -hmm. because you're a partner.
0: And it's going to be called the intentional marriage uh, group, and it's going to be good because. A lot of people get really uh, afraid when you tell them about counseling or coming in for a session by themselves. So this is a good way for you to connect with other couples, but maybe listen in and, and hear other people's challenges and feel like, you know, I'm not alone and somebody has overcome this and maybe I can take some of the strategies that they've used and applied and have overcome for my own self and my own marriage. So we're excited to be able to provide that for those of you who are going to be Those partners that are going to join us in accomplishing this great vision that God has placed on our hearts to fulfill.
1: And it's not venting sessions. We're talking about couples who have come through the fire and will be able to offer some testimonies. We also will bring in some special guests, couples who have become mentors to us in many ways. And it's going to be all around an empowering group to be a part of. So become a partner now, moremostforever.com. Let's jump into this first segment. It is our marriage strategy of the week.
0: Yes, this week's strategy is to safeguard against grudges by shutting down assumptions and clearly communicating. And this is so powerful because oftentimes this is what we deal with on a daily basis as a married couple, especially when we first get married. There's a lot of expectations that we've placed on our spouse. We're not that are That's not communicated and we just assume that it's going to happen but you can't do that because you have two different individuals coming from two different backgrounds and you have to clearly communicate with that person what your expectations are and maybe those expectations on, are unrealistic and hearing the other person's perception as to you know, why they do what they do and how they function and that means that you have to have those open lines of communication and if you don't, you will create those grudges and those offenses and it will trickle into other areas of your marriage and it will just cause a lot of issues
1: i want you to kind of explain how we came about this and read there's a quote that victoria came across and it sort of triggered this conversation between us about how couples develop grudges or offenses towards their spouses and Go in and read the
0: quote. Well, what I found was uh, a quote that said Before you hold a grudge, hold a conversation. It may be a result of a misandre- misunderstanding. And it just kind of clicked for me because I know that this is a challenge for all of us that deal with relationships on a daily basis. It doesn't necessarily have to be your spouse, it could be friendships, it could be, you know, family. When, you know, we see somebody look us a certain way, or they may, they might have made a statement and we've automatically like taken in those conversations and start like negotiating in our head with the enemy of all the things that could have been, or maybe they have meant when they said those statements or when they did those actions. And then we create things in our minds that actually never existed versus let's confront this head on and let's Hold a conversation. I'm not saying you know approaching this person in a domineering way and or start I, start accusing them, start attacking them because that's just not going to be effective at all. Right. But I think your feelings are valid if you are feeling a specific way. We've often said you know if you do get to a place where you feel like every time that you ha- have a conversation you get defensive it may be better for you to get a journal and write out what your feelings are. And then I think that that will help to kind of keep you in check is like, are those feelings valid or you're overreacting? And so once you test that out and say, okay, those feelings are valid and I need to address it with this person and just sit down with them and say, I don't want to come across as like I'm attacking you, but this is how I feel. And I want to have some kind of a resolution and I just wanted to have a conversation about, you know, how I feel about this specific situation about, or about what you said or what you did. And allow that person to explain themselves because mo- more than likely it is going to be a misunderstanding of some sort. Maybe they did not mean it the way they did. Or maybe they didn't know that it, that action or those words actually hurt your feelings.
1: So, Or if, if your feelings are valid and those assumptions turn out to be true then you'll be able to confront whatever, whatever issue is there. You know, assumption is sort of the root of most of couples' offenses. And you can feel when your spouse has withdrawn. Even if they're not telling you, you know that something is different. Their posture toward you has changed. And so a lot of these assumptions are coming from family, friends, invasive thoughts, spiritual warfare dr cindy trim says is the counsel of the human mind with any other spirit other than the spirit of god so that could be other individuals who you're counseling with who put thoughts in your head or it could just be the whispers of the enemy these intrusive thoughts that come in that you latch hold of and begin to create this narrative about your spouse that even if there is a a salt grains worth of truth in that assumption, right, you have now built this entire narrative around it and exploded this this idea about your spouse in your head to the point where you have now believed something about them that isn't true. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, and, and I'm a very methodical person, you have to confront these thoughts head on. And so we've come up with these three points to be able to help you navigate intrusive thoughts that become assumptions which form grudges and offenses that you have towards your spouse. Mm -hmm. Whenever you have a thought that begins to offend you, a a grudge about your spouse, I want you to start, start off with, number one, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I heard this quote from a men's group that I was in, and I'm not sure where it came from, but it was a quote that says, I'm going to view this in a light most favorable to you. And so even when your spouse is talking to you in regular communication, oftentimes we don't understand the context. And even when we hear something from them, we assume that it's rooted in a certain place, but it may not always be. So the best thing for you to do is right off the bat, instead of accusing them or believing the worst about them, give them the benefit of the doubt and say to yourself, I'm going to view this in a light most favorable to them. All right. Number two, you're gonna seek clarity and not condemnation. So after you give them the benefit of the doubt, you still have these questions, but the goal is not to condemn them and find them guilty. The goal is clarity to understand. So you're gonna to have to ask yourself some questions. Did I have the wrong expectations? Maybe they didn't live up to those expectations, but it, maybe it's because those expectations were not communicated. Number two, did we have a clear agreement? Even if you express expectations, it doesn't mean your spouse agrees with those, and the terms and conditions that you've laid out before them.
0: Just because they listen to your conversation doesn't mean that they agree. I often notice that, especially I think with women, if they express something that they have on their heart, like, you, you need to help me with this. It doesn't mean that a husband's like, oh, okay, she told me this, so now I'm going to jump up and do everything and kind of guess what it is that she wants me to help with. I think you have to be very clear as to what that expectation is. What do you need them to do? What the time frame is. And like Ryan said, set the parameters and then have the spouse say, okay, I am agreeing to this and I'll right. do it.
1: And we don't think that we have to be that specific, but you know, we give ourselves, all of us excuses, not to do things that are either uncomfortable or inconvenient. And so we oftentimes will create ambiguous statements to be able to safeguard ourselves in the future from the responsibility and accountability with what it is that's been presented to us. Like if our spouse wants us to do something and we'll give a, a generalized statement that kind of leans toward agreement, but not a specific type of agreement, And then if they come irritated, we say, well, I never agreed to that, right? I thought it was going to be this, right? And we almost use assumption as a shield instead of taking responsibility. Well, grownups, we get very specific and we we understand what the expectations are. And we either agree or we don't. There's no great areas. And so that number two, seeking clarity is important, but not seeking condemnation. You know, you're not seeking to try and demonize your spouse and point fingers at them. You just want to seek clarity. And finally, with seeking clarity, I love this question. Does this assumption reflect what I know to be the heart of my spouse? You've known them since the time you were dating. You've been married X amount of years. Does this assumption that has come into your mind reflect the heart that you know them to have? over the years that you have known them? Does this reflect their character, their nature? Is that assumption grounded in reality? And finally, the third point in this is to talk it out. Choose a favorable time to talk with your spouse and discuss the clarifying questions that you've asked yourself ahead of time. So let's start over at the top. Number one, when these invasive thoughts come in, you start assuming things, you start building this narrative, you gained a defense, a grudge towards your spouse. I want you to first give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to view this in a light most favorable to them. Mm-hmm. Number two, seek clarity and not condemnation. Ask yourself those questions about expectations. Number three, talk it out. Choose a time to intentionally sit down with your spouse and deal with those assumptions head on. And so I know that this was a little bit more in-depth than we normally do for a marriage strategy. But I think it is a, a heavy topic. It's a, a place where the enemy drives a wedge is in assumptions. And so uh, that's your marriage strategy of the week. Any yeah. final thoughts?
0: No. Go ahead and apply it. <laughs> start journaling. Start making sure that you keep yourself in check before you jump in to have those conversations that are not going to be productive what we're really trying to do is give you guys these pointers and tips in order for your conversations to be productive and for you to act like a mature adult and that will really help you to reel yourself in before you address it in a mature way with your spouse
1: yes well let's jump into the main topic today which is around our series called the prosperous marriage so we're talking about marriage and money And we've covered a lot up to this point. We're actually working now to get some interviews with people who really specialize in this particular topic. I believe that God has given us some advanced wisdom around this topic, but I think that there are some other perspectives we would like to bring in. But for now, we are going to talk about what all of this is leading to, right? What is the purpose of having a budget? Or what is the purpose of creating wealth or understanding prosperity from a biblical perspective? Last week, we talked about the number one reason for all of that, which is to manifest the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And how is that gonna happen? It's gonna happen within communities of believers who begin to network with one another and leverage your collective strengths and abilities for bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. This week, I want us to bring it home just a little bit. So we're talking about the second most important reason for having a prosperity mindset is because you want to leave an inheritance to your children. Mm -hmm. I think every parent, whenever they have kids, their their thoughts to themselves is, I want to give to my kids what I didn't have. And oftentimes that becomes the cause for the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction. And we, we give our kids the stuff without the values that were inherently given to us because of the hardship. And so we then see what, what, what took like the, the scrappiness of lack and crisis to bring you to a place of wealth that isn't automatically passed to your kids. And so, yes, the goal is an inheritance, but what is an inheritance? And also, I want us to add another term in there, legacy. What, do you want to jump in and add anything? We're talking about prosperity. And if prosperity begins and ends with a mindset, then would not inheritance also have to include a mindset in order to see that inheritance not begin and end with you. And let's say you have a million dollars to pass on to your kids, right? Would that million dollars be a gift to them or a curse? Would that million dollars be squandered? Would that million dollars lead to calamity in their lives? Or would it be a seed in the ground to be able to multiply with your grandchildren and great-grandchildren? I love this scripture in Proverbs chapter 13 because it talks about inheritance, but it also adds that caveat that I'm talking about. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, it says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And the scripture before that, if you want to start at 20, it says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Verse 21, evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous, good shall be repaid. And again, this scripture, verse 22, a good man, good, leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So I think that there's a difference between what a good man gives as an inheritance and what a bad man gives as an inheritance. Now we automatically think that the bad man is the one who gives his children nothing. But I wanna flip that a little bit and I want us to look at it from the perspective of two men giving the same money. Both of them have a million dollars to pass on to their kids. The good man would also pass along righteousness. The bad man would pass along money with without also the mindset to be able to sustain that wealth and to be able to pass it on to the next generation. Why? Because it says a good man leaves an inheritance not to his children, but to his children's children. Mm-hmm. That means it's multi-generational. It's passed from generation to generation and it continues on. And it says, but the wealth of the sinner, that means there is wealth that is coming from the sinner. It's going to end up being stored up for the righteous. That wealth from the bad man is going to pass through his children, cause calamity, and ultimately end up at the door of the righteous man.
0: Yeah, I always say, you know, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your children is teaching them the fear of the Lord. And Mm -hmm. the reason why is because if you step back, you know, you can think of like, oh, I can give my, my children this and this, but it's all stuff. You know, if I don't give them the principles that when they actually grow up, it says in the Bible, instruct a young man in their younger age. And then whenever they get older, they will not depart from it. And that starts at home, that discipleship making process starts at home. And that means teaching your kids about finances. You know, we're Right now, helping Mila with her little business. And we're not trying to put too much pressure on her because she's only seven. But it's something that I was never aware of. And I can't blame my dad for it because, you know, he also came up from a very impoverished uh, household. I mean, they lived through uh, famine. Their, grandma, their mom or my grandmother had to, like, ration food just in order for the kids to survive. So I understand my dad gave me the best he could. And I was never like a business owner, you know, as a child, but I want to pass that on to my child so that she knows the value of working hard, having the creative ideas, expressing her gift, using her hands and also, you know, using that gift to speak to other people and to network. And that starts at home. And when I can equip her now, And as she gets older, I would love to release a lot of this business to her. So she starts managing all aspects of it because then she grows older. Now she knows how to manage her own money, how to budget, how to invest. And she's not going to have that consumer's mindset like we've talked about last week. She's going to have an investment mindset. Mm -hmm. And that starts with us disciplining them here at home. So that whenever they actually reach that wealth or have the that money come in, they know not to squander it, but how we can, you know, utilize that for the glory of God. And then also how we can help other people and how can our gift serve other people, not just let's make this money so that we can get more stuff. It's not about the stuff. And so I think this is very important for us to, you know, start at the very beginning, start our, teaching our kids and our homes so that we can leave that mark and legacy for our children. I mean, I think of Ryan's grandfather as well. We celebrated his birthday this past weekend. He turned 90 and, you know, seeing his background, he he was married at a very young age. They've been, his grandma and him basically have been married for 66 years before she passed on. And
1: yeah, 67.
0: It was going to be 67, but it was just a few months short before she passed away. But when people were talking about it, you know, how grateful they are to him through his prayers and their dedication, they traveled around, um, and saying gospel music. And I remember just, you know, being introduced to them and they had such a heart to preach the gospel and to, um, talk to, to people about Jesus. And there was like no shame, you know? So they passed on to their children what they could, but it's now passed on not to only their children, But now their children's children are serving God. So it's not only financial. I mean, financial is one aspect. But I think that mindset and that posture, I have to equip my kids so that they can be contributing members of society. But more so, they're submitted to the will and the way of God so that they know what to do with the things that God gives them, with the gifts that God gives them and the resources that God gives them so that they don't squander it, but they can utilize it for the kingdom of God.
1: And so what Victoria is talking about is that added component that differentiates an inheritance from a good inheritance that is given by a good man, Mm -hmm. which is the added component of legacy. I want us to define those two words for the sake of this podcast. Legacy is who you lead. It's the ability to adequately pass the baton by passing on values, morals, skills, and mindsets, belief systems. An inheritance is what you leave, which is the tangible resources that you give to the next generation. So again, legacy is who you leave and an inheritance is what you leave, right? You want, even though you're not gonna be here in the physical, you want to leave who you are, the person that you became, that enabled you to prosper the way that you did. The values that got you there, the values that shaped you into the man or woman of God that you became ultimately. And if you do not Mm -hmm. focus on legacy in as much as you're focusing on inheritance, you could eventually pass your children destruction. And so this is what we wanted to kind of focus in on today, which is, the importance of planning for the future, what does it mean to pass on an inheritance and a legacy? We've talked about that just a little bit, but also realizing that it should not just be for your children, but for your children's children, for the the generations to come. Now, for some of you who may be struggling financially right now, this is at the back of your mind. But actually, I think it's important for you to pull it up front because this is a part of the vision that is going to help you break out of whatever poverty mindset that you're struggling with or whatever financial situation you're struggling with. Because if you don't get a vision and have a why behind what you're struggling to overcome, you're never going to overcome it. And to have a vision that your children and children's children would be blessed exponentially, that's the kind of vision that will wake you up in the morning and motivate you. When I look at our kids and the reason why we're investing in them and helping them to start businesses at as toddlers really, which is when Neela started, I think three years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's four four, four or ish five, yeah. 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 But now she's gonna be seven this month and she's taking more ownership over what what it, her name is on, right? We call it Neela's Minis, it's little candles. Now she's growing succulents in her room, nourishing little plants, those little yeah. plants, cute things. She does pop-up shops. We sell online. She's making bracelets. She's inspired her her cousin to start a business as well. So, And I love that when she's out there at these pop-up shops, she's in front of that table. She's talking to people. It's giving her skills that are going to transcend beyond just this business unit and give her the ability to be confident in, in the boardroom or be confident in presentations or, pre, you know, for stakeholders or wherever the Lord takes her. These presentation skills are really invaluable. It's gonna help her so much in her life. And so we're not just passing money. We're giving her the skills and the values. We're giving her legacy. And that's the difference. Other thing we wanted to sort of bring up in this conversation is estate planning. Hopefully we'll have some people on in the next couple of episodes to be able to a- uh, answer some more detailed questions about how you pass on money to your children. But for now, we're going to give you sort of the knowledge that we have, which is from our experience. Now, Victoria is walking through her dad passed January, 2021, and it is the, almost the end of 2023. And I would say you guys are still working through all of the details of the of the estate mm-hmm. right
0: yeah because the will wasn't present and it's it's hard to start planning now I mean like when I started writing a will for my mom like I, I literally cried because it's like what am I preparing for my mom's burial you and know you what want I'm her saying to
1: live for decades and decades and it's,
0: yeah, yeah and it's something that she requested and I know that it's important I think once she started like once you start seeing the questions, you know, who is going to be in charge? Like, let's say there's a medical emergency and you're not able to make that decision. Now my mom doesn't have a spouse. So who's right. going there's 12 of us. So like, who's going to take responsibility for that? Who is going to take the responsibility of the whole estate? You know, so just so making house those decisions. The and property
1: and allocation of resources. And, yes. yeah.
0: and my dad passed away and now we're working to get, things out of probate because some of the things were on my mom's name and my dad's name, so it's fifteen fifty and the laws and all the stuff how this works is just you have to literally jump through hoops and loops and it takes a long time to get some of the stuff resolved. And
1: then you add the component of twelve kids. Yeah.
0: It's but once you have those things in place, like your will, it's notarized, you have, you know, all those decisions made when You know, in the event something were to happen, you already kind of have a plan set in motion. And you already discussed almost like the wishes of that person as well. Like, what did they want, you know, when you pass away? That way you don't have fighting amongst your kids. You know, we have seen so many funerals and so many families, you know, people randomly start showing up. They never came to visit you, but they randomly show up because you're dying and they're over there salivating over what you have and, and it's it's disheartening but that's the kind of world we're living in people don't care about people they don't care about relationships they just care about what they can get out of it and this is why it's so important to have that relationship with your kids you know so you're not struggling and having these issues of fighting over your estate I mean I think of David King David dying and his uh, wife coming to him and saying hey you know, his brother is trying to become the king, but you promised me that, you know, my son Solomon was going to take over. Hmm. And so before David even died, he was on a deathbed. He requested that there was a ceremony done for King Solomon to instate him and put that father's approval on that. I I think that's powerful too. Like that's kind of planning. That was before he passed away, you know, so...
1: I think uh, part of the struggle in the church right now is that we do have multiple generations that are kind of arm in arm leading together. And it took a long time for boomers and those who are older to start passing the baton to millennials and younger. I
0: think it's still a struggle. It is still a struggle.
1: (laughs) And unfortunately, millennials have had to almost start again or start their own. And that is so Like That's not what the Bible teaches as it relates to inheritance and legacy. We want to be able to have that peaceful transfer from one generation to the next and be able to multiply the glory and the power that was revealed from one generation to the other. But we're just holding on with a death grip to what was instead of letting go and seeing what God will do in the next generation. And so I think that was a great example with King David. But also, let's think logistically. In the United States of America, $1 is taxed, like, it seems like 10 different ways before it ends up, you know, finally settling. You're taxed when you earn it. You're taxed as the employee and the employer is taxed. You're taxed with Social Security. You're taxed, you know, if you win money. You're taxed if you... If
0: you resell stuff that you already pay taxes on. Yes, like you that's
1: resell still- things that you pay sales tax then guess what there is an inheritance tax yeah but unfortunately for the system that it has to be this way but fortunately for those who have done the research there are loopholes there is a way to avoid some of these taxes right you can set up trusts for instance Mm -hmm. if you are of a certain age you've been able to pay off your house your house becomes an asset but when that house, if it's not deeded within a trust and and so on, like it, it would almost be better, I would say. And please don't take this as financial advice by any means. We're gonna have other people who weigh in on this. But I would estimate that it would be better for you to sell your house to your child for a dollar
0: mm-hmm. at
1: the end of your life than to pass it on to them free and clear afterwards.
0: Because they're going to have to pay taxes uh, according to the value of the house.
1: Yes. And you're, you're, you might not have paid that for it when you bought it 20 years ago. But now, especially in the world that we're living in, like the value of your house, you can't help the fact that we've had inflation and prices of houses. I mean, it's a, up it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing To come on up with hands, a
0: certain amount of money. And why the government wants a cut from that, I have no idea.
1: You don't want to have your child taxed for that and them suffer. You want them to get the full benefit. So you have to think of these things beforehand. So you set up a trust for your children and you set up even business units or, and we're going to, again, get more into detail, but for this conversation, it's getting you to think about, oh, wow, I didn't realize that if I were to die, my house wouldn't necessarily go directly to my spouse alone. Mm -hmm. Well, in South Carolina, there's a consideration for any children or heirs. There is a consideration, not just with the dollar bills that are in your bank, but your house, even if it's not paid off, there's equity in that house, your cars. You don't think of all of these things, but you have to because you don't wanna set up your kids for, for failure or headache or or destruction hey
0: and this could be a conversation that you need to have with your parents too because I know a lot of you guys who are like millennials or maybe gen z and your your parents are getting in into their like 50s 60s 70s and you know they may be still thriving but maybe they've never had those conversations or never nobody has ever talked to them about that maybe you need to be the one who brings those conversations to them and say hey I think we need to set up the will. We need to figure out, you know, what do you want me to do in the event of those things? And that's a very uncomfortable conversation, but those are important conversations so that you can kind of prepare in advance and also set your parents up for success as well, you know?
1: These are tough conversations, mm-hmm. but they have to be had. I want to bring a conclusion to this conversation by reading Galatians chapter four, starting at verse one bringing us full circle about this collaboration between inheritance and legacy, so that you don't leave a bad inheritance to your children with all of these strings attached to it, that you leave a good inheritance because you also leave a legacy. Galatians chapter four says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs not, does not differ at all from a slave though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by the Father. Even so, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, you have been given an inheritance. I wanna ask you two questions today. First, as a child of God, are you still living as a slave? Or have you been able to fully receive the inheritance that has been given to you through the blood of Jesus Christ? That scripture is very sobering. To think that you have access to everything but still live as a slave, that would be like tomorrow, some long lost relative dying and leaving you in their will a million dollars and it's stored up in this, you know, estate holdings and you have no idea about it. That means right at this moment, you could be a millionaire and be ignorant of it. Let me tell you, The enemy wants to keep you ignorant of what you have access to. That's a part of this poverty mindset is to keep you locked out of the inheritance that you have rightful stake in. And so I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I living the abundant life that was promised through Jesus Christ or am I, although I accepted him, am I still living as a slave? Number two, are you preparing to pass on not just an inheritance to your children but a legacy are you giving them the values they need to sustain whatever you plan to give them physically and let's say you're not in a position if things were to go wrong today and you know you're no longer with us you may not have a physical inheritance to pass but do you at least have a legacy of values that you've instilled within them that will carry them and help them to build even if they're given zero dollars, they will still be able to produce wealth? These are very challenging questions to ask and I want you to ponder on these today, pray about them and then have a conversation, I need a neat conversation with your spouse about what you plan to do to pass on both an inheritance and a legacy.
0: Thank you guys for tuning in for this part of our this episode. But we're going to move into the next part, which is the question of the week. And this...
1: I love this.
0: Yeah, this week's question. I, Ryan loves this when I pick it and he doesn't know what the question is. So he hasn't read this one before. It says, If you have been married for many years and loved your spouse, but not sure if you are in love with them, how do we fall in love all over again if they don't, don't know how I feel and I'm too scared to tell them. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I I have seen many relationships like that where they're kind of coasting by and I feel like the, the spouse is completely oblivious that they're not really good. I mean, I think that they're com- good companions. They live well together But I think it's probably like the worst feeling of being kind of in in the middle of not really like on fire, but it's not really cold either. But it can easily head towards that extreme side of being completely disconnected from your spouse. So it's very important for us to be open and vulnerable. And it sounds to me like this spouse was even afraid to say, hey, listen, I, I love you. And I feel like what they're really saying is I choose you because I chose you from the beginning but I don't know if I'm feeling very connected with you right now.
1: But I think that if you start entertaining these ideas and placing the feeling of love over God's ultimate definition of love, which is agape, unconditional, if you get those priorities out of whack, you could start romanticizing exiting the relationship. You could start fantasizing about what it would be like ...to experience those initial butterflies with someone new. I hate to say this, but in the beginning of any dating relationship, ignorance is bliss. But ignorance is not your friend. Because ignorance will ultimately lead to destruction. But when you're first getting to know someone, the fact that you don't live with them... ...the fact that you don't know all the skeletons in their closet and you are getting the best part of them, you're getting the made-up version of who they are, it almost can feel like bliss, like you're in some romantic comedy movie. Mm-hmm. And it feels, all. you feel all of these chemical reactions, which are real, right? The hormonal shifts and changes, and there is a chemistry. Chemistry isn't just some figurative word. There is a actual chemistry change that happens with pheromones and hormones between you and that other person, especially in the beginning of a relationship, that after you know who they really are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, takes intentional effort to continue to cultivate. Mm-hmm. But here's what we always say we have to abandon this idea of in love or out of love because it was a it's a description given by the modern world. Not even a hundred or so years ago did people think like that, right? They thought in terms of a need to survive or a need to thrive, and so they dated for very different reasons. These feelings of romantic love are really important. This is a part of the most holy place that we talk about in our books. But in order to get to the most holy place, you have to move through the outer court, which is that spiritual connection, and the inner court, which is the soulish, soulful connection. Mm-hmm. In order, in marriage, to be able to experience these kind of chemistry feelings, this butterflies, to know that I love this person, despite seeing all of their flaws, will be a bigger tsunami of those feelings than you had when you were in the dating process. But it takes more efforts to get there. Mm -hmm. So there's hope for you. If you say, I was in love with them, but I don't feel like I'm in love with them anymore. I'm just choosing to be here. Well, if you follow the path that I'm describing, the feelings that will come eventually are gonna far surpass any of those little butterflies that you felt when you were dating. Because you're going to love them with a more mature love. Mm
0: -hmm. And one thing that I wanted to say, like, you know, especially during the dating phase, when we first meet each other, we kind of focus on one another. And there's this, you know, chemistry and we really want to spend time with them and go on dates and get to know this person. And, And that that phase is very beautiful. I always say don't let people, you know, shut it down and say, you wait and see you know especially for those of you who have been married for a long time but i've got there are
1: people who come up to you and say ah just yeah. wait i
0: enjoyed you know. my dating phase but i also understand that i can't drag that into the phase that i'm living in now i have two kids we're both parents now we have went through so many different things in our life a lot of it was challenges which shaped us and molded us into different individuals and we had to shift our focus from looking at each other to, okay, what is our purpose and what is our vision and how we can walk parallel. This is what we teach all the time about husband and wife, about the marriage, having a mission, having a purpose. And when you have it, then you're walking hand in hand and you're communicating together. You're deciding what is going to be something that we want to accomplish in the next five years or 20 years. And it gives you a purpose and a meaning and something to look forward to. And of course, when we talked about writing your vision and mission All of those things have to be put on paper. Like, you know, how are we going to continue to grow our relationship? Are we going to go to a marriage retreat uh, this this year? You know, how can we connect with other couples? Maybe join our intentional uh, marriage group that we're going to be starting. Those are some of the things that you can start doing. Maybe listening to a podcast together. We've had so many couples that say, hey, when we drive you know 30 40 minutes somewhere we just turn on a podcast and both of us are listening and some of the women would do it more in a sneaky way because they're like my husband doesn't like any of this stuff but i'll turn it on you know and then he actually started enjoying it so maybe you as a wife just kind of initiating some of these things so that you guys can start you know maybe learning each other in this phase of life where maybe now you're feeling disconnected but maybe you can start um Dating each other again and discovering, you know, who you are now and what you guys want to accomplish in the next five to 10 years. So. And I
1: think that's what I was trying to describe with saying mature love yeah. is far better than just that butterfly love in the beginning. And, and in a lot of ways, the good old days that you think about that first few months or even a year or so dating and engaged and all of that can become chains that prevent you from moving forward. If you continue to pursue like rekindling that, I don't even think that it's possible to be rekindled. And so the idea of recapturing what was lost, I think you need to let go of that endeavor. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not a worthy endeavor. No. Why don't you turn your attention towards who your spouse is today? after all of these years, who they have become, and said, let me get to know that person. I want to pursue mature love. I want to pursue the next phase of our relationship. In the beginning, there were things that Victoria and I did. You know, I write her notes or, or certain things, and I think it meant a lot to her back then. It doesn't mean the same thing that it meant to her back then. The things that I used to do, you know, they don't show up in the same way to her. And even if we try to go back and say, let's do some of the things that we did before, it just doesn't, it it doesn't spark the same fire that it did then. Mm -hmm. We have to keep facing forward and moving ahead and say, how can I stir something up that is fresh and new Mm -hmm. with my spouse instead of staying in bondage to the glory of what was?
0: And it's not about a to-do list of like, let me just go on a date. It's genuinely and authentically wanting to discover, you know, what makes your spouse tick. Like, what do they love to do? And what, you know, what is what season are they in right now? And how can you support them? And how can you motivate them maybe in the season if they're unmotivated about certain things? So, you know, you don't have to wait around for your spouse to do it. I think you can, you, if you feel like you're disconnected can start doing those little things to start rekindling some of the things. And I know you said you didn't like that word, but maybe start that fire again, but in a new way, mm-hmm. now that you are more mature and now that you have been married for a while.
1: Listen, once the wood has burned and turned to ash, go go to an ash pile and try to start a fire. You can't. Go to an ash pile that has been sitting there and try to light a flame. It's not going to happen. You have to put new wood on the fire, or it's not going to, or it's not going to become a flame.
0: But you know what? You could use that ash for as a fertilizer.
1: You can. That's true. So
0: that that's a good example of what was before. It's still not erased. It still wow, uses what a fertilizer. A,
1: whole a circle thing. Right? Yeah. It, it's not wasted.
0: Yeah, you still can fertilize yes. and get the plants that you want from that soil. Uh-huh. Really nourish that soil so that you can. You know, start something new. So many
1: people keep trying to light a match and light that ash up. It's like no, the ash is meant to go into the foundation of the garden of your marriage. Mm -hmm. It's time to light a new fire with new wood. Yeah, start. It's time to make new memories. Those were great memories. It's always good for us to go back to that first restaurant that we went on our first date out on, but. You know what? It will never feel like that first date again.
0: Right. It, it might
1: re- We might reminisce and feel like, oh, that was nice. But ultimately, I want to go to new places with my wife Yeah. and experience new adventures. I think this was good. And if you really are trying to stir and awaken love between you and your spouse, we encourage you. Become partners with this ministry for as little as $25 a month you will be able to join our intentional marriage group and behind the wall, but behind social media and all of the stuff we're, we're doing through podcasting, get a more immersive experience for you and your spouse to grow together uh, in love uh, this upcoming year. That's sort of going to be our theme. I, I want to bite my tongue because I don't want to say too much, but this is a year about ballooning your love in full bloom. So, I think this was a great question, and Mm -hmm. I hope that that was a good answer for you, that you got something out of it. If you have a question about any topic, nothing is off the table, text us, 864-428-7131. The information is there in the description. You can also DM us, email us, however you want to communicate, get it to us. We will keep it anonymous. This is between Victoria and I. We're not going to call you out on the podcast, so get as deep and dirty as you want to get and we'll help you to to answer those questions
0: yeah thank you guys for tuning in today and be sure to send this episode to somebody that you may know that needs help you know maybe somebody that doesn't know about this podcast that really helps us to spread the word and also give us a review that also helps us to spread the word and Helps us to climb the charts. (laughs) Send Send it to as
1: many people as you can, right? Yeah. Say, hey, listen to this. This was a needed conversation. That's right. God bless.